Doug Storm. This is Interchange on WFHB, our theme song, Rumble, by Link Ray. Our show tonight begins a series of programs under the heading, The Sound of Resistance. Tonight's offering is Protest or Pose. Joining me in the studio is Rasul Mowat, Associate Professor in the School of Public Health and the American Studies Department at Indiana University. And Rasul is also a DJ. Do you DJ anywhere in particular, Rasul, of SoundCloud? Well, uh, I no longer really DJ as a a residency anywhere. I don't like that. But I DJ for special events Mm. um, here and there. There's the DJ inside you, though. (laughs) The DJ is still active. That's right. right. We'll uh, we'll look at three songs tonight. Strange Fruit, sung by Billie Holiday and recently sampled by Kanye West. Uh, We Almost Lost Detroit by Gil Scott Heron and Warzone by T.I. As our title suggests, we'll discuss how we come to designate some songs as legitimate forms of protest, how some songs might be better described as commercially opportunistic. So songs as instruments of protest or products of protest, or they're sometimes just products. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about videos later as well, depending on how Rasul feels. Thanks also for returning to us, Rasul. You've been a guest on Interchange several times. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, Always look forward to coming on and assisting with the programming here at Interchange. I know this is a sort of a product of several conversations um, that we have had for maybe the past year and a half uh, that has finally resulted in this particular show. We do keep talking. So the idea, uh, as we said, was to to do a series of programs, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show as well, how, uh, where we might go uh, near the, the end of the show. The idea was to think about the ways in which songs, uh, I guess popular products of moments, um, of imagination, of experience, of anger, uh, but also the ways in which protest and songs as products can be hijacked true exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. so let's uh, uh, let's ask the what i think is the our first necessary question can we define a protest song or song of resistance um yeah i think that's a good uh, opening question just because it provides us with a frame not only to talk about the three songs for this particular episode but uh, any future episode so that at least people can understand why we're sort of discussing them the way that they that we are, as well as disagree with us <laughs> based upon some of our opinion points. I can't believe that will happen, but because <laughs> I'm sure we will have some opinions. Um, and so I think it's important to not disconnect protest songs from protesting. Mm. Um, and so I think in both cases um, there is a reaction, reaction to either um, a social issue of concern that's been ongoing or a specific. Um, incident um, that may have occurred hmm. um, doesn't mean that protesting can't be proactive, but there's still a reaction. It's an it's an intentional way to sort of uh, raise awareness um, to like-minded others, or to people who are unaware, or to raise issue with um, those who are in authority who may be connected to the issue of concern. And so the song, uh, protest song, is just a format a or a tool to use in terms of protesting no different than marching down a particular street um so i think it's important to think about them in that same context um so are the um the singers or the producers writers of the song are they active in a particular social issue hmm. maybe a good context to think about if they're not 
then there may be something else going on and we are maybe falsely connecting the song to being a protest song when it may be maybe a song about social commentary uh, or a reaction in and of itself, but not necessarily a protest reaction. Mm, so we're going to define the uh, a difference there between um, uh, commentary, social commentary, and protest. Correct. And then songs of resistance would be more so those protest songs that are around issues that are more ongoing. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm Doug Storm on Interchange. My guest is Rasul Moat, DJ here in in our hearts, uh, associate professor at Indiana University and the American Studies Department and the School of Public Health. We're discussing songs um, as instruments of protest or um, perhaps... Um, what did we just say they were as well? Uh, comment, social commentary as well. Correct. And then p- possibly um, opportunistic as well. So we have to kind of look at those things. Let's go into our first song. Let's talk a little bit about, set it up a little bit. It's a classic, uh, Strange Fruit, sung by Billie Holiday, written by Abel, is it Miropol? Uh, is that, or is it Miropol? I, I thought it was Miropol. It's fine. I'm, um, I'm not sure which one But it was it made famous by Billie Holiday. Made very famous. Right. Yeah. Uh, but she is not the writer of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abel Mirapool is the original writer of it and actually the first person to sing it before passing it on to two, uh, two other artists. Uh, he had his wife sing it as well, I think. Is that correct? correct? Yeah, correct. Laura Scott, maybe Lauren Scott, something like that. Now I'm mixing Jill Scott up with Lauren maybe. Anyway, uh, this is your show for misinformation tonight, so check us uh, on the Wikipedia. So Strange Fruit, written in 37 by Abel Mirapol, who was a uh, Jewish-American teacher, I believe, high school teacher. He was. Yeah. He uh, was. After seeing a photo, I believe, of the 1930 lynching of Thomas Shipp and Abram Smith in... Marion, Indiana. Marion, Indiana, which is about halfway between Indy and Fort Wayne, I think. It Correct. Is. About Correct. 30,000 people live there. So uh, that was in 1930. So lynchings uh, are a subject here to talk about as well. This is, this is a song about a lynching. Yes. Should we go ahead and listen to it and Let's then talk ahead, about it afterwards? It, yeah. yeah. Southern trees... Bear strange fruit, blood on the leaves, and blood at the root, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging. From the poplar trees Pastoral scene Of the gallant south The bulging eyes And the twisted mouth Scent of magnolia, sweet and fresh. Then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck. 
for the rain together for the wind to suck for the sun to rock for the trees to Drop. Here is a strange and bitter I'm Doug Storm. This is Interchange. You just heard Billie Holiday doing Strange Fruit. Uh, that's a 1939 performance, I believe. Um, and that, again, is a song written by Abel Mirapol about the lynching of Thomas Shipp and Abram Smith in Marion, Indiana. What is that a protest song? I think, I think definitely it is a protest song. First of all, I, it's important to have a better understanding of Abel Maripool, mm-hmm. right? So besides being a teacher, he was an active member of the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. And and so he was very active in social issues. And if you understand the times of the 30s, um, of course, there was a lot of anti-communist um, activities, uh, you know, based, you know, formed by the government. Um, two of... Uh, People who acquaintances of his were Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, uh, who um, are the Rosenbergs that we are aware of that were executed mm-hmm. um, for treason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so having that understanding of his background, um, one being active within the Communist Party, but also um, having a sort of personal take on it because of his identity as a Jew in America, um, understanding that um, Jews were beginning to be ostracized in Germany. It was becoming aware of that, um, people here in the States. And so I think we definitely need to put into that context. He, When he did write it, he wrote it under a pseudonym, Lewis Allen, because mm-hmm. he understood that um, his own name would draw attention to it and prevent it from being sort of performed or recorded. Um, so this was a part of um, making sure that the song got out there. Mm-hmm. And from there, he you know, um, presented it to different singers to perform because of the outrage behind, behind it. He wanted to assist the anti-lynching activities that were going on by the NAACP and others. Um, unfortunately, there was no success in getting an anti-lynching bill. Mm-hmm. Um, put into effect. So the uh, the song itself is is uh, a pretty intense. I mean, just if we just look at it as a, as a piece of poetry, it's pretty impressive as well. It's a, yeah, amazing. correct, exactly, because it was first a poem, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, and it is his reaction to that fo- to, uh, that photograph. Mm-hmm. Uh, the photograph, as you mentioned, is from Indi- Marion, Indiana, August seventh, nineteen thirty, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the photographer was Lawrence uh, Bettler. So. Mm-hmm. Um, as we know, photographers took several photos of lynchings and made them postcards 
Mm-hmm. And so the postcard that we have was something of enjoyment and acknowledgement and support of the actual mm-hmm. lynching of these two individuals. And so it was a reaction to not only what was visually present there, but the people that are shown in the particular photograph, as well as the idea that this was a postcard, a thing of consumption. Well, let's uh, we, we covered something like that with uh, um, academic uh, scholar Courtney Baker here. We talked about lynchings, and, and this was the whole, when um, Philando, Philando Castile was, was uh, shot in his car, murdered in his car, executed in his car, and they posted those, uh, or I guess his girlfriend at the time, uh, his girlfriend put these photos on Facebook or the the actual video, and we talked about the ways in which those are consumed as well. And this is a is that a question we need to address with with music as well, or does it is it another level of um, distance that we we take back? Um, I th- I I think there's that. I think music can take that form because it can allow us to express emotions in a range of ways. And so going back to what we heard, it wasn't just Abel Maripol's words. We were also hearing Billie Holiday's performance mm-hmm. and emotion. And, and Abel Maripol did acknowledge that Billie Holiday sung the song in the way that it was intended to be performed. Mm. And so just imagine, you know, here is this singer that most people were. It was she was popular. Mm-hmm. You know, people enjoyed her performances, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the concert, she would sing the song. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what would you do as a listener in the audience? Would right. you like stand up and clap, ovation? <laughs> you know, right. um, go out and buy concessions? No, I think you. And most people were stunned yeah. um, by it, and she did it consistently. Mm. You know, throughout um, the time of. Her performance life, mm-hmm. right? I think she was only 24 at the time. She was. Right? She was very young, so she could have easily killed her career, but she did not wow. care because of her own sort of personal stance mm-hmm. or opinion or take on lynchings. Now that show has a, uh, excuse me, that song has a, a history of being covered too. There's lots of covers of that particular right. song. So right. So one, I think most people have become more aware, well, became more aware of the Nina Simone version, but that actually is later. That's after, of course, Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, um, other people have performed it. Sting, um, oh, really? I think yeah, Bob I Dylan has, has has performed it. Mm-hmm. Several people have performed uh, this particular song. Yeah. Diana Ross, Jill Scott, Annie Lennox. Uh, as I said, Kanye West sampled it. Also, interestingly, Katie Segal uh, with the Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, okay. okay. So, yeah, there are a lot, right. lots of covers. Um, we need to go to a break. Let's do that. I'm Doug Storm. This is Interchange. We were just talking about Strange Fruit, and we're going to listen to another version by the Malayan, sing- or Malayan singer uh, Rokia Traore. And when we come back, we'll turn to We Almost Lost Detroit by Gil Scott Heron. Uh, So stay with us for more Interchange on WFHB. Blood on the leaves 
fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Support for WFHB comes from the Uptown Cafe, a Bloomington landmark since 1976. Serving Cajun Creole and home cooking specials every Tuesday and Wednesday evening. Featuring a full bar serving fresh, handcrafted cocktails. The Uptown Cafe is located in downtown Bloomington. More information is available online at the-uptown.com. Support for WFHB and Interchange also comes from listeners like you and Smithville Fiber, a local provider of internet, voice, and TV service. Now also offering home automation and security systems for homes and offices throughout South Central Indiana. More information on Smithville's home automation services is available at smithvillesecurity.com. Welcome back to Interchange. This is Doug Storm. We're we're, uh, talking about protest or pose in uh, songs that we call, we're we're calling Sound of Resistance here tonight. I'm joined by Rasul Mowat, Associate Professor at Indiana University in the American Studies and the School of Public Health. Um, In our first segment, we listened to Billie Holiday's version of Abel Maripol's Strange Fruit. We just heard Rokia Traore's version of Strange Fruit, the maybe the next most famous uh, version, uh, Nina Simone's, um, I think we'll close the show with. And uh, there also is, as I said uh, before the break, uh, a Sons of Anarchy version. So how do we decide if we're still protesting when we sing that song, uh, Rasul? Is uh, Rokia Traore protesting? How do we know if certain people are allowed to protest this way? Or does the song lose its protestness. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, can we pick up something that has meaning and just redo it? You know, um, we know there's tribute bands, right, that perform songs, and there are ways in which, you know, the tribute band can give, you know, homage, homage to um, particular bands and particular songs, but a certain song like Strange Fruit, you know, Carrie has its own meaning, right? has its own period of time in which it meant something even mm-hmm. more specific than what it even does now. Right. Um, and so are we picking it up to just provide a continued understanding of that history or are we trying to apply it to a new incident? Um, and so that would be interesting to sort of have a better understanding of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing in terms of lynchings that we need to have a have a broader understanding of is this lynchings were vigilante killings, mm-hmm. right? So they were not police or state-sanctioned killings, even if the state may have been present. This, this is everyday people choosing to put the law into their own hands and publicly executing a person. Mm. Um, and so just imagine that type of environment and the amount of people that were being killed. I mean, we only we know of at least 
you know, f- five thousand odd lynchings, four thousand mm-hmm. of which roughly were um, black Americans during a thirty-year period. Lynchings did occur before that thirty-year period, and then afterwards. But we do know that it was that common mm-hmm. here in the United States. And I think I read somewhere, maybe it was something you wrote, Russell, that these were. Um, even performed in audit performed is the word I just used there. They were in auditoriums uh, at a point, right? Right, they were. Um, I, I don't have the date on me, but uh, there was one particular case that was um, actually documented in a French magazine mm. um, that was in the, the South, and it, uh, the lynching occurred in the auditorium because uh, the sheriff took of the individual to the auditorium because the uh, the, um, the courthouse was no longer safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mob was coming after him. Oh. And so he thought he could hide him oh. in the auditorium. And so the <sighs> mob found out and quickly used mm-hmm. the stage in the auditorium as a place to publicly execute um, this individual. Now, you said there were also often incentives on people getting getting brought to, to actually vis- you know view... Uh, lynchings as well uh, to get on the railroad and ride the car to right right uh, I, mean, I think you know we we're in the we're in this uh, time period of immediate gratification and immediate information access and not realizing that these behaviors were already there yeah. um, we were able to quickly find out information even then and so people became aware that there was a lynching going mm-hmm. to occur on Sunday. And here we are on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they started to make plans to get there, um, even if it was miles away yeah. or states pack, <laughs> away. Pack, pack a picnic. Exactly. Right. Um, right. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable stuff. But it's it's important that that's – and I, I think of this song in particular, and maybe, uh, you know, as we move into the Gil Scott Heron, and, and I think that we'll look at that as a social commentary song or a protest song. I, I would put it into a social um, – um, a protest song okay. because, of course, with – Billy Holiday and the Strange Fruit. That mm-hmm. was more so of a ongoing occurrence mm-hmm. of lynching, some a social issue that was ongoing. Okay. We almost thought Lost Detroit was about one incident. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's do this real quick, just because it it's kind of uh, you know talking. We can also talk about the idea of uh, and and maybe this one is a t- too po- too popular. I hate to use the term popular there, but we talk about uh, appropriation often as well. So, appropriation is an issue with and and it's glaring in this particular song, right? And and one one person that did c- uh, cover this song recently, Annie Lennox, uh, was dis- you know asked about the song. You know why? You know what what does it mean to you? What did <laughs> what did she have to say about it? Yeah, I, again, this is not something that I was uh, prepared to <laughs> <laughs> talk more in depth about, but uh, you know. She basically could not get form the words lynching. Mm-hmm. Uh, she could not form the words um, racial violence right. or, or form the words of racism. So her response um, invoked the idea that um, the strange fruit is about a it's a universal um, suffering and mm. universal compassion song. Oh, that there are lots uh, of strange fruits and e- we have to care exactly. about them. Exactly, and we have to hear about them, mm-hmm. embrace them, so that then we can change um, our realities. Mm. Let's do this real quick. Let's listen to that Kanye. I've got a little clip of Kanye. Let's listen to that little. Sounds good. Yeah. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. I just need to clear my mind now It's been racing since the summertime Now I'm holding down the summer now 
And all I want is what I can't buy now Cause I ain't got the money on me right now And I told you to wait Yeah, I told you to wait So I'ma need a little more time now Cause I ain't got the money on me right now And I thought you could wait Yeah, I thought you could wait These bitches surround me Talk about me. Would be lost without me. We could have been somebody. Thought you'd be different about it. Now I know you not it. So let's get on with it. We could have been somebody. Said you had to tell somebody. That's Kanye West sampling. From I'm not sure which version. Like I think a, a kind of it, it was it was Nina it was, Simone. Or? He sampled the Nina Simone. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, still, it was the same song. Um, yeah. And so I think it gets to the idea of when we appropriate it, um, can we take the meaning with us? And yes, because I think this is why some people had a reaction to mm-hmm. this particular song because in his appropriation of it through sampling, he did not continue to convey the sort of uh, idea behind the protest so either continuing the protest or even going to commentary ends up being um, a song about something else uh, entirely unlike we almost lost Detroit Hmm. which Kanye produced um, a sample using a sample of Gil Scott Heron's we almost lost Detroit for Common Hmm. uh, song called The People Hmm. Um, so in that song Common is more so trying to keep the meaning hmm. behind We Almost Lost Detroit, even though it's not in the same context of protest. Well, well, it's clear with uh, the, the, the title of the song is Blood on the Leaves, so he knows, he knows the song anyway. He's, he's aware of what the song is, and it's, um, it's hard to, like, I don't know how to express myself about it. You know, it's, uh, so the song to me is, his song, Kanye's song, is not speaking in the same place. No, it's very clearly no, not. It's not. And so I don't know what you, I don't know what I'm supposed to think about it. Well, you know, I, I think this gets into other conversations, but I, uh, this is one of the uh, legendary uh, uh, lawsuits that occurred with mm-hmm. Public Enemy and uh, the Notorious B.I.G.'s estate when um, Notorious B.I.G. for one of his songs, uh, Ten Crack Commandments, used one of Public Enemy's songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, Public Enemy did not approve of that because, of course, Public Enemy, as we know, has never produced a song that was about selling or supporting Mm -hmm. crack sales. Mm -hmm. They were actually commenting on not only drug dealing, but they were also commenting on the the sort of drug dealing that was done by the government, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so um, Chuck D never, he did not want his voice to be associated with that whatsoever. and so I think this is where certain artists want, you know, they want to hold a line with their content being used in a similar vein sure. as opposed to just being used. Hmm. Yeah, Abel Maripol didn't have a say in that particular no. fight, right? No. Well, let's turn to the Gil Scott Heron song. Um, and so the this song, We Almost Lost Detroit, uh, comments on a partial nuclear meltdown at Fermi 1, which was outside of Detroit uh, in 1966, I believe? In Monroe, Michigan. So mm-hmm. I think it's roughly about 40 miles. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would have been within the um, fallout mm, um, right. area. I think roughly about 120, 140 miles would have been infe- impacted, which okay. included 
Detroit. Hmm. And so this song was uh, written and performed on a 1977 album Bridges. Gil Scott Heron did with Brian Jackson and has uh, was performed at a No Nukes concert in September 1979 at Madison Square Garden. Let's go ahead and listen to that one. Detroit. 
This is Doug Storm on Interchange. We just heard Gil Scott Heron with We Almost Lost Detroit. That's a protest song also, Russell? Yes, definitely. Um, as we sort of uh, initiate the show with protests could be either something, uh, protest songs could be either challenging ongoing issues or a particular incident. In this case, this was about a, a specific incident. Um, and so... It gets into sort of more modern day discussions about sustainable energy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and here, here, this unstable uh, reactor uh, was placed very close to a major metropolitan city. Um, as we know, at this particular time period, Detroit had already gone through a major demographic change, um, being first initially predominantly white to predominantly black. And so some people feel, especially uh, Gil Scott Heron, uh, that because of that majority population, there was a complete disregard for safety and concerns. Mm-hmm. What if that nuclear plant completely failed and the fallout occurred? Um, no, big, these, no big deal. No big deal. All right. these children that were playing in playgrounds would not be alive mm-hmm. or be impacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, all of these um, people who were going about their day-to-day working, mm-hmm. you know, just as anybody else in other cities. Right. Um, it just happened to be that majority of them were going to be black. Mm-hmm. Well, this song in particular is, is definitely more specific. So we had Strange Fruit, which is a, a, a metaphor, a song about, and not hard to imagine. It's, uh, uh, But you'd have to know the song maybe to imagine it. I mean, it's Correct. partly why you imagine Annie Lennox singing it without needing to have really yeah. much of a recourse to, to the knowledge of the, the history of the song. But here, the the, uh, the lyrics actually talk about what it is Correct. and mention yeah. uh, historic things. Karen Silkwood was uh, murdered, probably. I'm not sure if that's been confirmed. But that's what most people still Suspected believe. Right? That she Suspected that she was murdered yeah. for Correct. blowing the whistle on, on nuclear power. Yeah. Uh, and here he talks uh, that it's just about money here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why he repeats this line throughout the song, mm-hmm. uh, how we would ever get over losing our minds, you mm-hmm. know. So um, the construction of the power plant, uh, the management of the power plant, uh, the shortcuts in the power plant were never uh, discussions that included the cost of human life mm-hmm. um, in very close proximity. Mm-hmm. So uh, so this is a song that uh, also has been covered. And we'll hear one of those covers as we go to break right now. And then we'll talk a little bit more when we come back. This is Doug Storm on Interchange, our uh, show tonight, The Sound of Resistance, Protest or Pose. Uh, and we, uh, we just heard Gil Scott Heron sing We Almost Lost Detroit. This one is by Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr. or Jr. Jr. It's off of It's a Corporate World. And we'll look at T.I.'s War Zone when Interchange returns on WFHB. Stay with us.
Support for WFHB comes from the Writer Film Series for more than a quarter century presenting foreign language, independent, and classic American films at locations around Bloomington. Information about this week's screening at thewriter.com. Support also comes from the Uptown Cafe, a Bloomington landmark since 1976. Serving Cajun Creole and home cooking specials every Tuesday and Wednesday evening, featuring a full bar serving fresh handcrafted cocktails. The Uptown Cafe is located in downtown Bloomington. More information is available online at the-uptown.com. Seconds from annihilation Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. This is the Sound of Resistance, Protester Pose on Interchange. I'm joined in the studio by Rasul Mowat, Associate Professor at Indiana University in the American Studies Department and also in the School of Public Health. We heard Strange Fruit at the top of the hour, Billie Holiday singing that song. And uh, then we heard uh, recently, just at the break, um, We Almost Lost Detroit. And uh, in the last seg- segment, Gil Scott Heron's version, or I guess the original version, he wrote the song uh, of We Almost Lost Detroit about the partial meltdown at a nuclear plant, uh, Fermi One, in Michigan, Monroe County. And then we just heard a cover by uh, a group called Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr., which has has something to say itself, I suppose, the name. Uh, I don't know what that means necessarily, uh, race car driver Jr. Jr. Um, but uh, it begs the question of, you know, who can sing a protest song and still have it be a protest song? Or do they know it's a protest song when they sing it? Do listeners know right. it's a protest song? This is part of the problem of a song being, dis- I guess, out of time in some sense. Yeah, correct. I mean, I, again, going back to our beginning, um, we we were talking about how protest songs can't be disconnected from protests. And so if um, any one of us were here in Bloomington eating at uh, Uptown Cafe mm-hmm. um, and and people were just walking down the street, well, we know it's a protest going on. Mm-hmm. What helps to inform us, distinguish that, um, from every day, from a mass of people walking down the street to it being an actual protest? Right. Is there some type of messaging? Is there t- some type of awareness that is being given to other people. Um, and so there has to be something you know, to that mm-hmm. effect. Um, we do know of that Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr., the album that it was on was It's a Corporate World. Mm-hmm. And so based upon that title of that particular album and some of the other songs that are on there, they are sort of challenging certain issues of the mm-hmm. day, but I'm not sure if they're trying to invoke the history um, 
that did occur back in 1966 with the meltdown, or are they talking about another mm-hmm. um, issue with Detroit? Mm-hmm. You know, Detroit water. Um, right. You know, but but we knew going back to Gil Scott Heron, right? The meltdown was in '66. Mm-hmm. Then there was the book that came out in '75, mm-hmm. and then Gil Scott Heron comes out. With he actually said he picked up the book in the air in an airport. I he think. did. He yeah. did. And so it's one of those things that you know the book was probably one of the awareness. Um, that was sort of put out there. People mm-hmm. did not know that a meltdown almost occurred. Right. You know, it was probably a very small byline in the right. newspaper. Right. Um, and so since people had already written off Detroit, they also probably didn't even, you know, they probably wrote off the news right. uh, when it was released. I think on the book, the, it actually says this is not a fiction. Exactly. Right. This this right. this almost happened. Right. And so right. I mean, right. both of us are old enough where we have a sense that of, of Three Mile Island. Right. right? Oh to- totally. Sure. I mean, so we're aware of that, but mm-hmm. you know, we don't no idea we don't one, put mm-hmm. Detroit um meltdown into mm-hmm. that same discussion. No, and this was this was uh, unfortunately I I hate to always announce my ignorance, but this was news to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's uh, let's actually now turn to T.I. song, Warzone, because it's an interesting thing. We talk about songs of moments. So this one, um, Gil Scott Heron's song, uh, reacting to a particular moment, almost being in that moment. It's not exactly uh, of, the time, uh, of the time period, but discovering it for the first time, he writes a song about it in the same way that perhaps Abel Mirapol sees, us, sees pictures that are seven years old, perhaps, and writes a song about it, writes a, a, a poem about it, right? So. Correct, but also Mirapool was also within the vein of being an active member of the Communist Party. He was already a, well, these, so we're talking about left, left-wingers here, right? So, I mean, we, uh, that was a, that sounds derogatory. I don't mean to say that. I think that. so, I think so. Uh, but what I mean is the, the left side of the political spectrum, um, I don't know we have right. They are. Right. I mean, they protest they, songs. They, they definitely are, and that's mm-hmm. something that maybe we can cover in, oh, we should, in yeah. future songs. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if we're still fitting it within the context of an ongoing issue mm-hmm. or an incident, yes, mm-hmm. um, we can't sort of limit oh, protest sure. songs yeah. just to my to ideological s- choices. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. Okay, so this is Ti. Now, I think uh, I, I I don't have the whole song. Maybe I don't remember. So, but this is at least some of Ti's War Zone. Shit, I'd be a martyr if my great-granddaughter benefit. They pull you over, ask you where your license at. Be careful reaching for it, you know you can die for that. And this ain't nothing new, just got cameras so you can see the shit. Got Dr. King and A. Lincoln asking where the freedom at. This ain't no equality. Man, you ain't had no justice on your mind when you shot at me. But fuck it, did the way it gotta be. Hey, listen, you won't shoot at them and shoot at me, boy, you are not a G. Imagine 
Trayvon asking why you follow me. Feel three and hit him and whip him down when he shot him down. Do that to a grown fucking man. Drop you where you stand. Tell my grandma gone with all that praying. If it's a God near the sky, he looking down, he understand. I'm just a man and I'm wrong for a man. But I don't get him in like telling him and gone kill again. Keep fucking around, it gon' be on in a minute. But we living in the war zone. This you don't know that when you living in it. Like every weekend, it's a man down. Ain't got no pity for the innocent, so I'ma represent it. Dedicated, tell a hand up, can't breathe, hand up. That was T.I. with Warzone, and that song, um, written to um, express some of Black Lives Matter's um, opinions, as well as the, the, the issues with Ferguson, the killings uh, in Ferguson, and in... Yeah, go ahead. Russell. Yes, uh, j- just to sort yeah, of, um, you know, slightly correct you. So, oh, thank you. in sure. a sense of... Um, so Ti, you know, has definitely acknowledged he's not, um, you know, affiliated with any Black Lives Matter. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, uh, you know, chapter that's anywhere. You know, I think sometimes we sort of conflate Black Lives Matter as some entity. Okay, that, sure. You know, but yeah, and so I, he's not. He did not write this song as a member of any particular chapter, okay. or um, or with some acknowledgement by Black Lives Matter. But I think he gotcha. did it in. In, in the same sort of spirit of mm-hmm. what he was seeing others w- that were doing in protests of these particular police shootings and killings. Mm. So there was, uh, I guess, the, the question there is, is, so this is a protest song? Uh, or is it social commentary? Or not? Yeah, I think I would put this more into a commentary. Um, why? Uh, well, I think, one, um, this is partly T.I. grappling with his own sort of reaction to it. Um, this is, uh, you know, for this particular song, it's difficult to discuss it only in the vein of the lyrics because mm-hmm. unlike the other two songs, this song is actually aided by the visual aspect, which is the video. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar, you know, please look at the video um, Warzone by T.I. When you look at it, what he does is he uh, flips um, the sort of representation of the Tamir Rice sh- uh, shooting, the Flandre Castile shooting, and the Eric Garner um, choking um, incident with um, white victims mm-hmm. um, being perpetrated um, and, and with black police officers. Right. Um, so he tries to flip this sort of to visually sort of convey where we have the same reaction, the same outrage. Um, and so this was his sort of, his reaction. Could he just continue to um, say nothing or do nothing? Mm. Um, and and so I think that was his attempt. And so I think this is him as well as other artists. They're trying to grapple with their place. Um, and so I think they're not necessarily speaking from being activists, organizers, similar to Abel Mirapool, right? And so they're speaking from some sense of um, responsibility. They're not Chuck D from Public Enemy having decades of experience sort of speaking to these things. And so what could they do? What could they say? Hmm. So I, that's why I think of this more as a commentary piece. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm Doug Storm. This is Interchange. My guest is Rasul Mowat. He's associate professor at Indiana University in the American Studies Department and the School of Public Health. Our show is The Sound of Resistance. So um, do we call this a, a resistance? Will it inspire resistance? Does it have influence? Is that what it's trying to do? Or is it just trying to say, look at look at this? What if we flipped it? And 
Well, uh, sadly, um, it's forgotten now. Um, Warzone was put out there, I believe, during the summer of mm-hmm. 2016. 2016, yeah. Yeah, and so... Um, August it ha- 31st. Yeah, it has, um, it has not had any sort of legs of continuance mm. and so on, and this kind of um, goes back to that same piece. Some of that, I think, may be because of the artist. The artist doesn't have a track record of certain type of commentary, unlike Gil Scott Heron, unlike... Um, Abel Mirapool, mm-hmm. when they wrote these pieces, they were speaking from not only the work that they were engaged in, but also they had a discography um, of other songs that were in that same vein. Um, and so their intent was very clear, was very precise. Um, Billie Holiday is probably the anomaly because of just her performance. So she understood that she had to put the weight in her performance mm-hmm. of the song. Um, and if we think about it, I mean, there was no visual assistance, right? It was just her performing and singing the song. There was nothing behind her being mm-hmm. projected. There weren't um, dancers uh, doing some type of dramatic piece around her to add to the effect. And so, um, so I think this is why we need to see it slightly different. Um, is this T.I. posing? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as opposed to really being a protester, I don't. I wouldn't put him into that context. I think there is a sincerity mm-hmm. um, in terms of it, but I think we should be cautious into lumping everything that may say something political as being protest. Mm. You know, for example, he was um, brought on to Trevor Noah's um, uh, Daily Show, mm-hmm. and Trevor Noah put him on the spot in terms of some of the violence and other commentary that's in hip hop. Mm-hmm. Overall, and T.I. tried to respond um, by framing also Warzone, saying that um, people need to consider that hip-hop tradi- traditionally has been about reflecting an environment, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so of course, drug dealing is some parts of that environment. But as we're becoming more and more aware, of course, it's police to justice, right? right. Um, you know, there are people who knew this already, mm-hmm. but other people who are, were listening to this music did not know of that. Right. This is the question we ask ourselves, what do we know when we listen, right? Uh, again, we ask that question, how do we know th- what this is about? How do we know what the stance is of the person that sings it? We uh, we had a show on here not too long ago about uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, and one of the things Du Bois said at, at a point in regards to the Harlem, Harlem Renaissance and how it became popular in a sense and how it became a, a tourist destination for a lot of people as well, uh, that he was kind of sick of it. Uh, that's a paraphrase on my part, but uh, basically saying, I prefer art to be propaganda, you know, to say something that will make a difference uh, that is very clearly political. I got in trouble with this saying this the other day on Facebook, but um, because it is a stance to say, you know, art has to do a particular thing. It doesn't all have to do it, of course, but Du Bois wanted to change his moment. Okay, correct. I mean, and but this goes back to the appropriation piece that you were speaking mm-hmm. to. I mean, so, um, for example, going back up to our sort of first piece with Strange Fruit, people mm-hmm. were sort of talking about, um, especially now, currently, with um, Rachel Ferguson. You know, Rachel Ferguson is one of the artists that mm, have been right, selected for right. the inauguration, right. correct? Yeah. And she's, yeah. Ag- she's agreed to perform there as long as she can perform Strange right, Fruit. Right. She's a British artist that was like on this show, X Factor, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Sing, you know, singing shows, um, right. right? Yeah. And, uh, and so um, in her discussion of why she was choosing to sing the song, 
even though people were praising that sort of stance, she did speak to the fact that um, it's about the the reality of love conquering hate, right? Mm -hmm. This thing that we constantly hear over and over again, this phrasing. And so do we understand what love conquering hate is in the context of protests, Mm -hmm. right? Is it messages of compassion and feeling? Because strange fruit does not have that. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely not, right? You know, um, especially when Abel Mirapool quick, you know, intently said that he hated lynching, right? Mm. Well, I, I, well, I was <laughs> going to say you, you shouldn't love the lynching, but at the same time, we talked about how the, the photographs were used to, you right. know, as, um, almost like Christmas cards you sent to your friends. Yes. You collected so, them and, and So the song like was intentionally right. trying to convey that disgust of what was in that photograph as well as what was going on. Right. And so I think... Um, I think we need to get past this idea of love conquering hate right. in the context of how we've placed love, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or can we think of more so love in the sort of chase spirit, right? right. You know, the mm-hmm. idea that love is the act of changing mm-hmm. society, mm-hmm. changing realities. If I love you, then I have to change this particular mm-hmm. reality. Well, we, we're, out, we're running out of time, Russell. Let's uh, really quickly, where might we go next? So I think, you know, this particular sort of format or discussion of a show allows us to get into Bob Dylan, Last Poets, of course, Nina Simone, Bob Marley, uh, Phil Akuti, um, as well as uh, the work more recently of Beyonce and Kendrick Kendrick Mm -hmm. Lamar. Um, So whether it's both what they have in text in terms of lyrics or ways in which they performed it or the sort of power of the visual, the video, Mm -hmm. um, what are they doing with it? Is it protests? Or is it posing? Hmm. Cool. Well, that's all we have time for. Thanks to Russell Mowat, our professor joining us tonight, professor of music tonight, uh, for uh, joining us for this first of a series. We'll highlight the sounds of resistance. Thanks, Russell. No problem. We'll close with Ron Holloway's uh, version of We Almost Lost Detroit. This is a jazz song, and it, it, it features Gil Scott Heron. It's from 2012's Groove Update. Interchange is shifting its time slot to shade in 2017. Beginning next week, 110, uh, January 10th, will air from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m., directly following the daily local news, which shifts back to 5 p.m. Mark it on your calendars, but if you happen upon us in the middle of the show, don't sweat it. You can simply go to the website and get the podcast in order to hear what you missed. Next time on Interchange, The Capitalized Womb. We're joined by Constance and Ned Sublet, authors of The American Slave Coast, A History of the Slave Breeding Industry. This is the brutal story of how the... How the slavery industry made the reproductive labor of the people it referred to as breeding women essential to the country's expansion. The book's narrative is driven by the power struggle between the elites of Virginia, the slave-raising mother of slavery, and South Carolina, the massive importer of Africans, a conflict that was central to American politics from the making of the Constitution through the debacle of the Confederacy. The Capitalized Womb, next time on Interchange, Tuesdays at 5.30 on WFHB. I'm Doug Storm. Thanks for listening. I produce Interchange. Rob Schoon is assistant producer. Jennifer Brooks is board engineer. And our executive producer is Joe Crawford. Stay tuned for The Jazz Menagerie coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB. The